What a scene, and we are thrilled and privileged to be back. Adam Amin, Rich Shea. Should be amazing. What a crowd out here. You know, I think Derek Henderson might be out of, out of his depth here, George, like a freshman at his first keg party. It's a great Fourth of July tradition. I'm Paul Page with Rich Shea. This man, of course, Joey Chestnut. <laughs> this is Joey Chestnut, the greatest of all time. It would be unbelievable. This crowd would erupt, and this is one of the biggest crowds I've ever seen in the corner of surf and still will. Americans of all stripe their visitors from abroad celebrating the dream of independence once again on the corner of surf and still will. Welcome to Great Minds, and this is a special July 4th edition. One of the great joys in our life, going back now about 30 years, has been to partner with George and our guest today, Rich Shea, uh, on the majestic corner of Surf and Stillwell, where every year, going back well over 100 years, Rich, for us, it's been about 30 years together, on the 4th of July, the epicenter of American patriotism, it is a spectacle like no other. In America, we have events like the Super Bowl. We have the Kentucky Derby. We have other great championships. This, without question, Rich, is one of them. I'm referring, of course, to the annual Nathan's 4th of July hot dog eating championship, or as we refer to it here, Rich, the world championship. So welcome today for a special preview of what's to come on the 4th our dear friend, Rich Shea. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for the intro. Good to be here with uh, Advertising Week at Stillwell HQ. Indeed, our name Stillwell derived from That's our right. passion I didn't, I for wasn't Nathan's. I was trying to lead that. Yeah, that was very good, Rich, how you did that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's where our name comes from. Years ago, uh, my last name is Schechner. That's a lousy name for a company. Lance's is Pillersdorf. That's at least just as lousy. Or worse. Or worse. And so Lance came up with the idea to name our company Stillwell Partners, comes from the corner of Surf and Stillwell. So, Rich, let's talk a little about you, and then we're going to get into the fourth. Uh, you are a, a passionate New Englander, a passionate Boston sports fan, spent the first five or six years of your life in Boston, and then you and George and your other brothers and family up in Maine. I find there's a certain grounding uh, and a certain gravitas, if you will, of people from New England. Can we talk about that? And do you agree, disagree? And, and I think there's just something very special about the breeding, if you will, of <laughs> folks from that part of the world. I, I spend a lot of time in uh, New England and Maine. I have a home in Maine. I'm very fortunate. Uh, you know, and people are real. They're still very down home. I don't know that everyone in the region is all that grounded, but there is some genuine sort of... Uh, structure and heft to true New Englanders uh, and, and, and some honesty that still remains uh, and very blunt uh, sort of approach to humor and relationships. Uh, but I think you see a lot of that in New York too, just perhaps with a little bit of different patina, different accent. Um, but New York is different than New England, that's for sure. Uh, and so, yeah, we were born in Boston. I grew up in Maine, my brother George and I. Uh, through just George was there through high school. I left mid-high school, came to New York uh, and moved on to... Villanova down in Philly, went skiing and came back to New York right after that. So I've been in New York since 1992 and I love the city. And so there's nothing <clears throat> greater than to sort of think about that. I love New York. We love New York sort of vibe. Uh, you know, the whole thing out there in Corner Surf and Stillwell is a celebration of America and certainly Coney Island. And it's really New York's original beach, New York's original playground. 
Absolutely. And at a certain point in history was the world's Monaco. Uh, it's where the wealthiest people in the world used to come to vacation and going back to the old days of the original steeplechase and yeah. dreamland and Luna park, all the great, still some of it parks. there, you know, I did a rap and part of it was like Coney, Coney Island of old, all new, not rusty. Uh, cause Coney Island for a long time, as you and I know, and when, when we started doing this contest, it was pretty rough and rusty. They've done a lot of work out there, much more family friendly, much more cleaned up, uh, but still has that ballyhoo that we love. Absolutely. So let's go back and, and start to dig into uh, the whole history as we get to the present and, and what's to come on July 4th. You and George launched Shea Communications in the late 90s. Uh, around that time, you also launched the International Federation of Competitive <laughs> Eating, the IFOCE predecessor to MLE, Major League Eating. Let's go back to that. And I also want to go back even further, Rich, and talk a little bit about one of the icons of the business who I think is still alive. You'll tell me if I'm right, uh, the great Morty Matz. Yeah, so Morty Matz, we can, we'll, we'll hit on after this. But so George was working with Morty for a number of years. I joined them. I'm a little younger than George. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was working at this terrible place in uh, Midtown, graphic, kind of selling graphic design services. It wasn't really my calling. Uh, and I, and I moved over there and, and, and learned like, wow, this is New York city sort of press agentry. Uh, and, and Morty Matz was a fantastic historic legendary press agent. He is still alive. He's in his mid nineties. I still speak with him. And every time something like he'll get a Google alert for Nathan's, or <laughs> he'll always send it. Um, great guy, lovely guy and brilliant guy. And he did the PR for Nathan's for years. So for Murray Handworker, who was Nathan's son, um, and then, uh, when George went to work with him, they did, they did the 4th of July hot dog eating contest. And it was just sort of a, a curiosity and a one day a year thing where you would get a few cameras, maybe maybe one or two cameras. And there were no real repeat competitors, maybe one or two. Mike DeVito might come a second year and try to win. But for the most part, they were trying to get the balance of the field when they were there on the boardwalk on the 4th of July. Uh, but George just fell in love with it. And he just thought, thought the history and the whole, like uh, all the color and pageantry of Coney Island was just fantastic. So I remember for years he would talk about it and I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go to Maine. Thanks. I'll, <laughs> I'll go to the coast for the 4th of July. I'm not going to come out there. Um, but then we did start our, we started our firm. Uh, and one of the few clients we took from Morty was uh, Nathan's Famous. And uh, we thought the contest, we really believed had great marketing legs. Uh, so we convinced them. They were big into franchisees then. They were sort of launching their franchisee program. So we were like, why don't we go out and do a miniature version of this contest, the hot dog eating contest we do on July 4, but let's do it on July 2 in Tempe, or let's do it on July 6 in, uh, in Las Vegas at the New York, New York hotel, where there's a Nathan's famous, let's go down to Boca Raton. I once did one in front of a Neiman Marcus in Boca Raton inside a mall, <laughs> not really, uh, endemic, but, um, and, and, and we said, let's do this tour. So we did the tour. Nathan's bought in. We get So then we get a bunch of bites. It's an earned media platform, first and foremost, right? So we get a bunch of bites uh, at, at media in these smaller markets. So we can we can support their franchises in, in Boca Raton, in Tampa, in, El, in Las Vegas, wherever we might be. We'll support that local franchise. And we'll bring that. So we'll get a bunch of press in early June. We'll bring that champion to New York to compete in the finals. Then we're not looking for eaters anymore. We have, we, now we have a field. We have sort of a league. Uh, and, and we'll get another bite at the apple in Phoenix. And God forbid the guy from Phoenix wins. We're going to get a lot of press there, but we're going to get the press here. Uh, and, and Nathan's allowed us to do that. And that's kind of got the ball rolling. Uh, and we had so much success early on, just earned media-wise uh, in the early years. And by that, it's the late years for the contest, but early years for us, late 90s. Uh, 
that we were getting calls from other brands and, and festivals and things around the country saying, Hey, we'd like to do a XYZ burger contest, or can you come to Buffalo for a wing event? Or what is the flapjack eating title? And we'd be like, or what's the record? And so we decided there's an opportunity to turn what competitive eating was, which we did not start into a sport, archive its results, advance it safely. We started the International Federation of Competitive Eating, as you said, the IFOCE. I know you're into branding quite a bit. Typically, people don't keep the O and the of there but uh, in the acronym, but uh, we did that. And it was really just for fun and, and maybe make a couple bucks, but we were doing it as, a, as we do traditional PR and corporate PR and stuff, B2B here in the city. So we were doing it as an outlet. And, uh, and I think we liked the outlet so much that we put our energy into it, and that's why it succeeded. Absolutely. And going back... Uh, you mentioned Mike, uh, the scholar DeVito, one yeah. of the early eaters going back to the 90s. The contest then was in the back of Nathan's in what was called Schweikert Alley. Yes. And there were maybe a couple hundred people there. But it looked full because it was such a narrow little space. See, that's... <laughs> it did indeed. And also all you needed... So our theory was you just need a camera. If I have 100 or 200 people watching an event, but I have a couple cameras there, well, now I've got a million people watching. Absolutely. And... Uh, Shortly after we met, we were able to move it around the corner. Yeah. And it gave it a proper sort of staging and a, a basket, if you will, for everything to take place in. And the thing took off incredibly. And uh, eventually ESPN came on. You'll be on the air once again doing the color commentary uh, for a global audience uh, on the 4th of July. But go back to that transition from... Schweikert Alley absolutely looked jammed, but a very small space yeah. to where we are now on the other side on Surf and Stillwell. Crowds that are enormous as far as the eye can see. You know, you feel like you're at the Indianapolis 500 or, or the Belmont Stakes. So you think about the transition. I remember, I remember as a young guy in New York and, you know, had a small PR firm and we were driving out to the event. We were doing everything the night before. If you think, the, let's say we're going over to the, the corner of Surf and Stillwell, like I should know what year that was. I remember you being there watching us do a pregame show as if it were, you know, college game day. So I forget who I would even be talking to up there, but I bring up a series of guests. Maybe it was the president of Nathan's. Maybe it was an eater. This is two hours before the event. What? It's just completely uh, uh, absurd, you know? <laughs> so we're sitting there. I got my legs crossed like Matt Lauer doing a pregame show for this thing. Uh, but I remember driving out that morning when we when we moved it, and we were already getting like 10, 10 winds hits and stuff. And that was the, you know, we were just in the ether now for the Fourth of July. And so it was still a lark. I also remember that year when we when we flipped over to the other side, or the year after. I said we need credentials. You know, we should have credentials. And everyone around the table is like, well, "There's no, there's no crowd. There's no security need." There's. <laughs> I said, right, "Right, so let's do credentials, and it'll just it'll it'll just be for a farce, for fun, right?" So I did credentials in the office. We got some interns. And a color printer. And then very next year, our client and friends are asking for laminates. It, it's just, it's absurd. It was, it was a practice in the absurd. But uh, once we did it, it uh, again, I think because we, we, we just leaned in. Um, and maybe it's just the proof of the product. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, a hot dog eating contest on the 4th of July. There's just, a, there's a ring to it. Well, I think the vision that you and George had and the passion that you brought to it, the creativity that you brought to it, you made this thing into something that is truly transcendent. And uh, this is not a, a story to be, you know, undertold or undersold. The, the number of people that we will have on the corner next week you're looking at, plus. you know, enormous, yeah. well, enormous Well, I will say, crowds. so we go from the, I'm not trying to poo-poo the event. We go from 
something that was always an, a genuine event, a hot dog eating contest at Nathan's in Coney Island that's been going past, you know, decades and a hundred years. Um, we, we did some things that we were, that were entertaining us that I just called absurd and then quickly moved into what was like a huge international event, a media sensation. And with that came responsibility to, you know, produce it the right way, uh, to identify quality eaters, invite quality eaters from overseas. Cause there are such things, you know, it could be the Hamantash and eating champ could be the, uh, the haggis eating champ in Northumberland, the, the bratwurst eating champ of Germany. And we went out and found these people and brought them in. Uh, and then of course, of course the Japanese. So, we, we decided, okay, we created this fun thing. Now it's kind of our responsibility to bring it to the next level. And we love sports, so we gave it the trapping of sports. And we had major events. So a major would be Nathan's. Of course, that's sort of our, that's our, that's our masters. And the, and, the, and the mustard yellow belt's our green jacket. But gosh, we're going to need other majors, right? We need five. So, you know, go to Buffalo. The Buffalo Wing Festival, that's a major. You know, the Acme Oyster Eating Championship in New Orleans is a major. So we actually started really working on it, hiring people to support the, uh, the, the project, uh, and, and, and turned it into what we call major league eating, uh, and major league eating obviously, you know, sounds more legit and is actually more descriptive of what it is. Uh, and I, and I'll stop gassing on, but when it was international federation of competitive eating, part of that was a PR trick, because if you call a reporter in Orlando and you're from Nathan's or you're from white castle or whomever you're with, I'm, 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 I'm from Coca-Cola or whoever the brand is that's supporting us. Uh, you know, they're like, oh boy, they, they put a firewall up. They're like, I don't want to talk to a brand. So if you call a reporter in Orlando and say, hey, it's Rich Shea from the International Federation of Competitive Eating. Give me a call back. I want to talk about a hot dog contest we're doing over at Disney this weekend. Then they call and say, wait, what the hell is the International Federation of Competitive Eating? Right. So that helped us early you know, to, to get some attention. And then the attention was just, su we became such a through line on the fourth, Major League Eating just naturally evolved. It, it really did. And, and it's an incredible story. So this evolution's taking place, give or take, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, yep. 2000. Uh, the first great Japanese eater hits American shores, Hirofumi Nakajima. Wow, you are a student of the game, Matt. Go back to that era because the battles of that was the, that was Kratchy, a transitional Kratchy yeah, Nakajima yeah. was really tr a transcendent moment. So if you go back to the, for the sport. Yeah, mid, late, mid, mid to you know, 98, if you could eat 20 hot dogs and buns as an American or anyone, that's the deuce. That's, that's a rite of passage. You're a legit eater. Come to the fourth. Um, and Ed, Ed, Mike DeVito, the scholar, was a guy who could do that repeatedly. Um, he actually reunified the belt, got it back to the U.S. in an off-season contest under the Brooklyn Bridge, no joke, with a, comp a competitor named Oreo Ito, a female competitor from Japan. Uh, we got the belt, the mustard yellow belt, back in the U.S. That was a very big press play. Um, and then Ed Crotchy, who was from Canarsie here in New York City, real work-a-day kind of guy, drink a few beers at the bar kind of guy, big guy, two-something, six-something. Uh, he beat... Uh, he beat DeVito because he could eat 22, 23 consistently. A real braggadocious guy, right? So then Japanese TV uh, said, we've got a new guy, uh, Hirofumi Nakajima. We'd like to challenge your champ. So Hirofumi comes over. <laughs> and uh, this is, again, another off-season event uh, we were doing just for press. Nathan's famous, Ed Crotchy, George Mee, Hirofumi Nakajima. Ed Crotchy's 6'3", let's say 250-plus. Uh, and this little slight guy, Hirofumi Nakajima, probably 5'4", 150. Uh, and we're at a Nathan's Famous uh, in Herald Square, not too far from here. And uh, uh, Ed Crotchy was just, you know, kind of just poo-pooing the contest. I'm going to beat this guy, no problem. Was actually reading the New York Post of the Daily News to be dismissive. And he got his butt handed to him. 
so then Nakajima came on July 4th that, that year uh, and won. Nakajima won for a couple of years. Uh, we had a uh, Steve Kiner, a guy from, from, uh, <clears throat> from New Jersey, beat Nakajima. And then we brought in a couple other Japanese competitors, uh, Kazutoyo Arai, the rabbit. He could eat 25, 26. That was a big deal. But then the biggest deal was our next Japanese competitor. And in one year... Takiro Kobayashi, who has become synonymous with popular culture in this country, well beyond the sport of competitive eating, he eats 50. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Nobody saw that coming. No, we were having a uh, reception for all the eaters and, and, and sponsors and things on July 3rd, as we do over on 12th Avenue somewhere in like uh, meatpacking. And the, the, all the eaters were buzzing about, you know, this guy, not, uh, I'm sorry, Kobayashi, who was in the room. But I just thought, okay, he's, he's, he's the best eater in Japan. Doesn't, you, know, he, you know, they were like, he can eat 30. I said, there's no way. You know, in my head, I'm like, if this guy eats 30, I'll be a gog. The next day, he ate 50 Nathan's hot dogs and buns. It was 12-minute contest then. It's back to its original 10-minute form. But still, just a moonshot. Uh, and it really, really got the attention of, of the world. And it was like... Those who saw Will Chamberlain score 100 points in a right. game, no one had ever seen anything yeah, like secretariat that. kind of stuff. Yeah. Amazing. And he had a great run, won how many belts? Uh, I believe six. Six. Yeah, great champion. And then along comes uh, a young man from California. Northern Cal, uh, out of the asparagus eating uh, circuit, actually asparagus eating contest up in Stockton, uh, California, this kid from San Jose. Uh, came on and ate like 30 to qualify at a Las Vegas contest. Uh, so that kind of raised our eyebrows. Like, wow, that's pretty damn good. This rookie ate 30. Uh, and he came in, and I remember his first year, we had ESPN then, and, and I remember he was right in front of our booth, and and, and I didn't think that he was going to really perform. And he, he came in second uh, with like high 30s. Took Joey Chestnut, the great Joey Chestnut, probably three attempts, and on his fourth, he took down... Uh, he took down Kobayashi and uh, has never looked back. He's only one. He's only lost one contest in uh, in 16 years. He's won 15 straight titles, uh, and he's set incredible records. You know, 76 Nathan's hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. So the women have also come a long way. You know, you go back to some of the great female leaders, Sonia, the Black Widow, Thomas, uh, so many others. But you've got another tremendous champion now on the female side in Mickey Sudo. Yeah, Mickey's amazing. She's going for number nine this year, her ninth belt. So, so what happened in that transition, you know, we continue to transition. When Nakajima and, and Kobayashi were competing, we had female competitors on the stage as well with them because they were really just as good as most of the men. Um, but then, then there was a distinct you know, gap between the numbers the, the, the male champions were putting up, the top three, four guys versus what the female champions were doing. So we decided to, uh, to split the contest. So there's a, a ladies' contest and a men's contest, each with equal prize money. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned Sonia Thomas. She was just a fantastic competitor. I was once with her in New Orleans at the Acme, eating, Acme Oyster Eating Championship, which you've been to, actually, yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I'm in New Orleans, and you come walking by. Uh, I, I think I was like introducing the gin blossoms or something, and, and you and I like come by, and then I'm glad you hung out for the contest. But uh, she ate 48 dozen Acme Oysters in one, in one competition. I'll never forget. I, I did a halftime show with her at the Orlando Magic. She ate 50 hard-boiled eggs in, I want to say, like, Three minutes. We had five minutes all in for the program. And then we repaired to our seats. They, they gave us nice seats, the Magic. And she's like, I, like can I get anything? She's like, a Diet Coke and some popcorn. <laughs> wow. Multi-time champion. But yeah, Mickey Sudo will be back this year. Um, and she's probably the greatest female competitor now, certainly when it comes to hot dogs. And she's ranked number three in the world.
in, across men and women. Across men and women. So she she's eaten 48 and a half Nathan's hot dogs and buns, but she will often, so that's, hot dogs, as you know, is, is, is a really tough competition. Very few people can, can perform in hot dogs for whatever reason. Um, but Mickey will go out on the road and she'll beat eaters and other, in other things, whether she's a sweet corn eating champ this year. And, and as we say in the trade, HDB, it's hot dog and bun. HDBs, yeah. Exactly. Now, overall, let's just stay with the numbers for a moment. This is not a uh, data-driven podcast, but it's just a fascinating story. For so many years, 19, 20, 22, 24, and it was like that for a very long period of time. Along comes Kobayashi, and he doubles it to 50. We're now seeing the third, fourth, fifth place finisher in the 40s, in the 50s. This has got to stagger you and George. Yeah, I think, I don't, you know, it, it is staggering. What happened is there was another transition, if we're going to keep using that word, in like 08, you know, 07, 07, I think I said, you know, I did, a, I did some sort of stat on, on, the, on the average weight of the competitor and the average age of the competitor. And they had both gone down dramatically. So we went from these big sort of buffet buster guys, Ed Cookie Jarvis, for instance, right, uh, to Eater X, who was like an X Games kind of like, very fit, young, youthful guy uh, to a couple marathon runners. You know, that was a transition. And the numbers were going up. So we learned that, you know, it's the big, heavy, uh, you know, indulgent eater isn't necessarily your guy. It's a traditional athlete who will watch the tapes, who will go on the road and go to various contests to refine their skill. And they have, you know, and, and, and you know, I was just out in Mattituck, Long Island for the Mattituck Lions Strawberry Shortcake Eating Championship where Jeff Esper, number two eater in the world, ate 21 pounds of shortcake but they they're out there you know flying around the country so uh mickey sudo and 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 nick uh who are engaged nick nick where the number four ranked eater they're flying every weekend to a different contest you know and these people are committed you know it's 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 not a lark anymore there's money to be made there are sponsors uh and 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 they they the the, the, the cross-discipline eater who can put down quantity is is doing pretty well and they're all incredibly fit. That's that's what's interesting. The, the bulk of them are incredibly fit, like literally triathletes and things like that, or bodybuilders. Uh, you know, Jeff Esper's done you know bodybuilding competitions, weightlifting competitions. Nick Wary's a trainer. He's completely cut. Um, so it's a different competitor now than it was when you and I first were watching it and having fun and kind of taking the piss. You know, it was always about a little bit of you know <laughs> little snide comments or whatever yeah. it might be. Those days are over. These guys are. These guys are. I like guess aggro. Badlands Booker is really the only holdover from an yeah. era gone Badlands, by. Yeah, Badlands is a veteran, and he's just an icon and a legend, and uh, he's huge online. So he's got millions of followers, and he uh, he's a chugger now. He doesn't really compete in eating as much as he does. So he'll be doing a chug chugging contest. He started a rap career. He taught taught me how to rap, but uh, not so well. But um, Aquafresh Advanced Whitening, if you're looking for it online, but. Um, yeah, Badlands is just a, a big, lovely guy, and I know that you're a fan of his, and I know that he's been, I think he might have gone to your son's bar mitzvah or something. Uh, I think we had Crazy Legs. Uh, crazy content. Legs, okay. Yeah, we did indeed. The budget wasn't there. We did indeed. Uh, White Castle uh, hamburgers <laughs> versus my nephew, Max. So let's... Unsanctioned, uh, by the way. Absolutely. So one other note here, we mentioned a lot of the great competitors, and you mentioned the Strawberry Shortcake Championship, the Asparagus Circuit. I remember many years ago... Crazy Legs uh, famously ate his way out of a box of popcorn. Yes, we, we, we buried Crazy Legs. Our, friends had, our friend had just done a, uh, 
a documentary on Crazy Legs, which is how I met him. And it was actually the first Acme Oyster Eating Championship back in like 03. Um, so he was on pursuit of a title. So we're doing the Acme Oyster Eating. So he was, it was Crazy Legs, the Oyster King or whatever it was. And my friend, or now a friend, I didn't know him then, had submitted it and, and won an award at, uh, at Tribeca. So to promote his movie down at Tribeca, we buried Crazy Legs under eight feet, cubic feet of popcorn in, in a popcorn sarcophagus. And he ate his way to freedom. I remember Jeannie Moose came and she really loved it. George and I wore black tie for that affair. And uh, we got a nice big CNN hit and some post coverage and stuff. It was very fun. Fantastic. And in so many of the disciplines, uh, you've got a lot of different champions. Joey has been beaten many times in other disciplines. But in hot dogs, he still seems to be the king. Well, he's he wisely focuses on, you know, quote unquote, the masters, right? So... He is he he could beat anybody any day and does and often wins when he's on the road. And we we went out to a, a wonderful pistachios eating contest in Santa Monica on the pier to kick off this year. Uh, and wonderful is a great brand. Uh, and and Nick Wary actually won. You know, 188 pistachios to to Joey's uh, 121 or something. He actually lost a a donut hole eating con- contest uh, back on Donut Day, which I'm going to say is sometime in May, uh, in in Greater Indianapolis. Uh, you know, he lost by like 30 donut holes. So he can be taken down. Um, but if he focuses, which he does for the fourth, he's just got the skill and the capacity. Yeah, he's an amazing athlete. You know, we all watched uh, The Last Dance and celebrated Michael Jordan's six championships, nothing to be laughed at. I know you're a huge Patriots fan, Tom Brady. Well, I was Brady. a jazz fan of one of those championships. And I don't know, I don't know. I, I remember I was so frustrated, I sent a fax to David Stern telling him I thought it was suspect the the, the officiating. The, was that the uh, call, call Malone, John Carl Stockton Malone, uh, era? Uh, anyway, yeah. And uh, we've had your man, Tom Brady, the Patriots won how many? Five? Six. Six as well. But Joey, we're at 15. I mean, that's... Yeah. It's, uh, it, you know, yeah, you think of Bill Russell, I think was 11 or something like that. So it's it, it is otherworldly. Uh, a couple years ago, we did a package for the ESPN show because this is, you know, as you know, for years been an hour special on ESPN uh, midday, July 4. And we did a package with these, you know, these, not aspirants, but these challengers for Joey. And it was Asper, this guy, Darren Breeden, uh, you know, Nick Wary. And, and, you know, I'm looking at the package and, and the, the first word out of these guys' mouths, I'm not going to beat Joey. I'm just going for a personal best. I'm like, that's not really that good of a teaser. I think this year, you know, Esper is, is, is a force to be reckoned with. So it's just, if Joey were to get off and like we caught, we said, you know, HDBs, which is hot dogs and buns. DPM is another uh, parlance of the game, which is dogs per minute. The first few minutes of the contest really determine who's going to come out ahead or, or is a, not only ahead, but should come out the winner. And it's always Joey on the fourth pretty much. And it's like eight to 11 DPM, you know? So if he came in like minute two and three and was down in like a six DPM, well, then he's going to have to catch up. He has kicked it into gear. I was at a Qdoba. We were doing with Qdoba, uh, the Mexican Eats place out in Milwaukee. We were doing a contest this year uh, on Burrito Day. And Joey was behind Esper the entire way until the last minute. It was a 10-minute contest. And in the last minute, Joey, he was neck and neck, but he was behind. And uh, in the last minute, Joey just kicked it into gear and edged him. Well, amazing stories. <laughs> uh, well, I want to wrap by just getting your insights, what we can expect to see. Uh, on the fourth, but another big story in sports lately uh, has been the uh, movement of public investment funds, sovereign wealth funds yeah. into the big sports. We've seen the Do you investment. Have a 
of the Saudis in golf, live golf. We see the Qataris investing. They just bought 5% of uh, the parent company that owns the Washington uh, NHL, NBA, the Wizards uh, teams. This seems to be a trend. Do you see MLE you know, playing in that arena? And what are your thoughts on that? Just as a, one of the de facto commissioners, you and George leading MLE, what are your thoughts on the in, in, you know, movement of some of the foreign sovereign wealth funds into well, the bread and butter American sports? Certainly this being one of them. I, you know, I'm probably on Rory's side on this one deep down, uh, but ultimately money talks, right? Um, yeah, I'm a New Yorker. I've seen some things happen in this in this city that broke my heart and still do. So it'd be it'd, it'd be some long hard meetings if they were to come calling to us, you know. Yeah, it, it, very interesting uh, evolution of the economics of of sport. Well, Rich, you are both quintessential New England and quintessential New oh, York. Thank you, uh, and love getting a chance Dual to talk to you, indeed. And I've uh, been privileged to have George on for the July Fourth preview. Let's wrap by getting us your sense. What are we going to see on the fourth this year? Do we any surprises? We've got the ESPN broadcast. They've been doing a terrific job the last couple of years. It's as big as Wimbledon in a World Cup year. Uh, it's absolute magic what's happened. Yeah, on the I mean we're psyched. We'll be live well. on uh, two on ESPN two at noon, which is hard to get when you're going up against Wimbledon because they they put it across their across their platforms so we'll be stoked to have our, our full live hour noon eastern on espn too um we're excited to have pepsid uh the number one doctor recommended over the counter uh anti-acid uh reliever whatever acid reliever great sponsor they're gonna have a lot of bucket hats i think you're gonna see a pe- see a sea of pepsid out there because you know we talked about the sport mostly but i'm sitting here where we're advertising week was born uh and it this is nothing if not a branding you know opportunity and just an incredible earned media, social media platform. Uh, but beyond that, I hope to see th- north of 30,000 people out there in Coney Island. We, we typically do. We're very fortunate. Uh, I'd love to see an upset in either the ladies or the men's. I can't guarantee that's going to happen. You know, I think what we'll learn at the end of the day on July 4, 2023, is that we've all been very concerned about tech and how tech might overtake man and might be the end of humankind. If you find me a chat bot, Matt, that can eat 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes, I'll buy into this AI bullshit. I couldn't agree more. And uh, it truly is the epicenter of Americana. It's an incredible exercise. And not to be missed here, uh, my Morty Matz in my life, Rich, was a guy named Don Smith. Don is gone now, but he ran the first 10 Super Bowls for the NFL, worked for Burt Bell, Mm. who was commissioner before Pete Rozelle. And Don used to take me to the Super Bowl. And back then, I don't know how Goodell does it, but under Roselle and Tagliabue, the commissioner would only appear once. They would have the commissioner's state of the NFL address on Friday, late morning for the press. A little more genteel error. Exactly. And I probably went to a dozen of those over the years in the 80s and 90s. And I can say unequivocally that there is more press on the corner of Surf and Stillwell on July 4th, thanks to the job that you and George have done uh, than there is at the Super Bowl. And it's an incredible spectacle to see, no matter how big Frank on our team, and we've been privileged to do the production for you guys all these years, no matter how big and how many risers we build for the press, <laughs> they it's, consume them. it's, it's never enough. It is, it's a stunning, it's a stunning uh, you know, media success story, it really is. An incredible branding story. Love talking to you, Rich Thank Shea. You. We'll see you on the 4th in Coney Island. All right, happy 4th of July.